All right, so we are going to conclude How Then Shall We Live series. This is week six. Uh, told my wife, told some of the staff, I'm, I'm ready to be done with this series. Uh, honestly, like it's been uh, a big buildup for me for a few months studying and preparing for this series. And we've dealt with some subjects that I believe have been very important. If you haven't had a chance to, to listen to any of the messages, I encourage you to go back and listen to week one. Just listen through them. They're all kind of long messages. I am kind of long-winded. Um, and so, but work your way through it. And this message, though, will be like the bow, the ribbon on top. This, in my opinion, is the most important message of the entire series, this message right here. And so the premise of the whole series is how shall we live as Christians in a pagan culture? And in the first message, we talked about how we as Christians are living in what would be considered Babylon as Daniel and the three Hebrew children lived in the book of Daniel. And that we could say that the way that they were living in a culture that was a, 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 a culture that worshiped multiplicity, thousands of different gods. We live in a culture today as Christians, as God's people who worship thousands of different gods. And so how shall we live in the middle of this culture? And this message right here, I've titled it, Not Ashamed of the Gospel. And I think this is how we live. This message should culminate how we should live in this culture. Yes, we dealt with the issue of abortion and we dealt with the, the issue of, of gender ideology and the transgender movement and homosexuality and, and adultery and fornication. We dealt with all these big sins and these things that, that make that, that, that our, our culture revolve around. And, we, and I sought to give biblical answers to how we should approach those subjects and how should we live with grace and truth and compassion together around those subjects. And I pray that I was able to do that for you and give you a good place for your feet to stand and to not waver in your convictions. But this message, this is how we are to live. We are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and this is what I want to talk about this morning. This is the most important message that we have. It is Christ crucified, without a doubt. And this is what we will look at. So before we jump in to this message about the gospel, would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the privilege of preaching your word. Lord, it is an honor that we could gather together under your word, under your truth. God, it is not, it is not um, man's opinion that we're interested in. It's not uh, philosophy, psychology that we're interested in. Lord, it is your word and your truth that we know has the power to save, to transform and Lord, we pray that we would submit to it. I pray that every single person here and the, the sound of my voice would have a heart that is ready to receive from your word. And I pray this morning that you would help me to open my mouth to preach your word and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it could be said that unbelievers have consistently tried to silence Jesus. Now, I would say that would be a selective silencing of Jesus because many unbelievers don't mind some of the things that Jesus says. When he talks about feeding the poor and caring for those that are, are outcast and, 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 and looking at his life and how he hung around with sinners and was accused of, of being a sinner because of, of that. And, and many non-believers, that's the version of Jesus that they, they don't mind, but when 
you actually start listening to Jesus, unbelievers from the time that Jesus walked the earth into today, and it will continue on, they want to silence Jesus, the real Jesus. Not the Jesus that Hollywood comes up with, not the Jesus that people who compromise the gospel uh, come up with, but the real Jesus, the one you see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the one that we get to, to study his life and hear his, story, and, and hear his story and how he was born of a virgin and he was crucified under Pontius Pilate and he was raised from the dead and, and from, from his birth to his resurrection, the three and a half years that he walked and he talked and he preached the message that he came to give that's what unbelievers in the world want to silence they want to silence it because the message confronts them the message speaks to their life in a way that reveals to them that something is wrong with their life and none of us as human beings really like to be told that we're wrong I mean I'm just like you and I believe you're just like me I like to be right I don't like to be told that I'm wrong, and, and, and definitely I don't want somebody to tell me that I have sin in my life, and I don't want to know that I, I'm going to be held accountable for that sin, and, and so people, unbelievers, like to seek to silence Jesus. This is nothing new, but what I find is shocking. It's, I don't find it shocking that non-believers want to silence Jesus. What I find is shocking is that those who would consider themselves believers or disciples of Jesus would seek to silence Jesus. They would seek to muzzle his words, to, to tone him down, to sand down the rough edges of the message of Christ. And I believe there's been a concerted effort over the last 30 to 40 years, 50 to 60 years, but in particular in this digital age, there's been a concerted effort to tone down Jesus for the sake of appealing to non-believers, to tone down the message of repentance, to tone down the message of judgment, of hell, of heaven, of the fact that, that one day we will stand before a living God, the, the message of Jesus, the message of the gospel. That's shocking to me. Those who would consider themselves to be believers, that they would be ashamed of that message, that they would t try to hide the words of Jesus. And here's kind of the idea. The idea is, is to make Jesus less offensive, to make him more appealing, and to make him more relevant. Jesus is Jesus, right? Who he is in his word needs no fixing, needs no toning down, needs no shifting or adjusting or changing to make him more appealing, he is the most awe-inspiring, beautiful, amazing, wonderful man, God-man that ever walked the earth. He needs no adjusting for a modern age. But what, what, what people try to do is they try to remove the words believe. You know, I've been hearing this lately. This idea of, you, you know, we don't want people to believe before they belong. They need to belong before they believe. No. You can't belong in the family of God until you, until you believe. Belief, faith, it's the crux of what Jesus came to preach, belief and faith. We want to tone down the word believe, the word sin, repentance, judgment. And the idea is this, if the world would see all the good that God can do for them, then maybe they would believe. But, but, but the problem is, is that unless they're able to see the gospel for what it really is in Christ for who he really is, they can never really have, they will never have the benefits of all that God is and all he has come to offer. It must start with 
sin, belief, repentance, judgment. And so maybe sometimes people say things like this, look, look, God wants to make your life so much better. And Jesus really is just about the practical ways of making your marriage better, your kids better, your finances better. It's really just, Christianity really is just a nice practical message, just something you can add to your life. And, and, and this is what concerns me. This is what bothers me. This is what I'm shocked about, that those who would consider themselves Christians would take Jesus and would muzzle him and would silence his words for the sake of appealing to non-believers. And as a result of that, as a result of that, people can never really be born again because that, that is not the gospel message. A toned down Jesus is not the gospel message. A half gospel message is not the gospel message. By removing any offensive language, by toning down Jesus, by making the front door as wide as possible with as little requirements as we can, listen, we run the risk of people becoming church attenders or Jesus sympathizers, but not actual disciples. But not actual disciples. Jesus came to make disciples of all nations. We'll create cultural Christians, Christians by association only, but that's not what Jesus came to do. So, the premise of my whole message is this. One question. What would a gospel message sound like if Jesus was preaching? What would a gospel message sound like if Jesus was preaching? Not Ben Bufkin, not your favorite YouTube preacher. If Jesus was preaching, now how are we gonna know what a gospel message would sound like if Jesus was preaching? Go to the Bible. So all, I have five points, you guys ready? We're just gonna quote Jesus. What happens if we let Jesus speak? Now remember, the message of Jesus is our message because we go in his name. So this is our message. What would Jesus say? Well, here's the first thing Jesus would say. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. That's what Jesus said. John 8, to a group of unbelievers. They did not believe in Jesus. They hated Jesus. If you hate Jesus, that makes you an unbeliever. And he told a group of unbelievers, you think your father is Abraham. But really, because you don't believe my words, you don't realize it, but your father's the devil. John 8, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I, I came not on my own accord, but, he's, he, but he who sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, in your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You are of your father, the devil. Wow, Jesus, tone it down a little bit. Why you got to be so abrupt and to the point? It's so offensive, Jesus. Why would you tell them that their father is the devil? So what, what is Jesus saying here? What he's dealing with is the reality of the spiritual condition of all those who don't believe in him. What he's addressing is, is the fact that those who don't love him and love his words, they don't belong to him. They belong to someone else. Jesus drew 
clear lines when he spoke. You you can't really be confused about what Jesus believed and what he stood for when you read the Gospels. He was very clear, just like we see here. What Jesus is starting with is this. He's starting with this. Mankind is born in sin and sinful by nature. And this is where the gospel begins. The gospel begins right here in John 8. You are of your father the devil. The gospel begins with bad news. Gospel means good news. But the good news begins with the bad news. This is the message of Christ. The message of Christ is that all of humanity is born in sin. No one needs saving if no one is lost, right? No one needs resurrection if no one is dead. No one needs forgiveness if no one is guilty. The good news is only good news for those who are dead, for those who are, are lost, and to, for those who are blind, for those who are guilty. Jeremiah seventeen nine says, The heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can know it? Ephesians 2, look up at the screens or in your Bibles. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead. Before you received the gospel of Jesus Christ, everyone was dead in their sins in which you once walked. Following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Listen, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Your father is the devil. Wow. So the biblical truth that Jesus is bringing out here in John 8 to these unbelieving Pharisees is that no one is basically good. No one is good by nature. Original sin comes from the fall, sin and deception since the fall, and there is no scale system uh, that God has that, that, that some of us are a little better than that person or some are less bad than that person. We're a little bit better or we're, we're a little less bad. We're all bad. We're all sinful. Romans 3, 9, what then? Are we Jews any better off because we're religious and, and spiritual? We know the law. No, not at all. If we have all charged, we have already charged at all, both Jews and Greeks, Jews who are religious and Greeks who, who aren't religious, are all in their sin. For as it is written, none, how many is none? None, none is righteous, no, not, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. You know, there's a belief that people are seekers. You know, that's not biblical. There's really no seekers. God's the one who is the seeker. No one seeks after God. No, not one. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Wow. It culminates in Romans 3, 22 through 23. For there is no distinction. There's no scale, system of heaven. Good deeds outweigh the bad deeds. I'm a little less bad. I'm a little Worse, good, bad, there's no scale system, there's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the opening monologue of the gospel. This is our message. We can't tone that down. We shouldn't tone it down, right? This is the beginning of the conversation. Jesus did not try, listen, this is so important. Jesus did not try to give the illusion to people who were not okay that they were okay. You just need a little adjustment. Just need a little life improvement. Your life stinks right now, doesn't it? Just, 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 
church will just give you a little bit more of a life improvement. We'll give you some life skills. I'll coach you a little bit. I'm so glad I'm not a coach. I'm not a good coach. Or a wedding planner. I had a wedding last night. I'm not a good wedding planner either. Whew. We had a great team that helped us out, pull, pull, pull off a wedding last night. Thank God. I want to give a standing applause for all of that last night. But I'm a preacher. I'm not a life coach. Preachers shouldn't be life coaches. We don't just need a little adjustment. We need a radical transformation. Jesus was not like some who speak in his name, who tell sinners that their biggest problem are earthly problems. He says, your father is the devil. That's your biggest problem. The gospel must begin with the correct diagnosis. You know, we we will hold physicians accountable for, for malpractice, won't we? I think we need to start holding preachers accountable for spiritual malpractice. Spiritual malpractice would be to lead sinners to believe that their biggest problems have to do with earthly realities instead of eternal ones. That's spiritual malpractice. So, what else would Jesus say? He says to unbelieving Jews, unbelieving Jews, unbelieving Pharisees, you don't want my words. My words have no place in you. You think Abraham's your father. He's not. The devil actually is. And you know what happened at the end of John 8? They bent over and they picked up stones and they said, we're going to kill this guy. Right? That probably would happen to you too next week if you tell that to some people at your job. What else would Jesus say if he's preaching a gospel message? Here's the second point. You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. Jesus said this. Who knows where Jesus said this and who he said it to? Samaritan woman, John 4. Listen to this. Having a conversation with a woman, Samaritan woman. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. They're at a well. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus, in his conversation with the Samaritan woman at a well, he goes and finds this woman, has a divine appointment with her. He says, give me water to drink. She says, how is it that a Jew and a man would ask me, a Samaritan woman, for water to drink. And Jesus begins this conversation with her. And Jesus, Jesus is wanting her to know. He's wanting this woman to know. He's using a physical illustration. He's pointing to some physical water and wanting her to know that this physical water will not satisfy you eternally. And he's going to culminate the conversation in saying that he is the living water that she needs. But in the middle of the conversation, he doesn't have to confront her sin. He didn't necessarily have to do that. He could have gone from give me water to living water and tell her, look, your life is terrible right now. You've had a terrible, miserable life. And you're here at midday instead of early morning when all the other women of the town come and draw water because you've had a terrible life and you're ashamed of your life, but I'm living water. And that would sound like a good gospel message, wouldn't it be? But you know what Jesus does in the middle? He talks about her sin. He confronts her sin. He talks about repentance. 
Does Jesus bypass their sin? No. Does he overlook it? No. Does he excuse it away? No. The message that Jesus preached to sinners was a message of repentance. He started out and he told them that they were guilty, that their ancestry was not heavenly. Their ancestry was from hell. And then we see Jesus confront sinners. A gospel message without repentance is not a gospel message. To preach like Jesus is to confront sin and to call for repentance. You know, some might say, well, John the Baptist was the one who preached repentance, not Jesus. You remember John the Baptist, he came looking dressed in kind of crazy and locusts and honey and he was eating grasshoppers and all kind of stuff. And he comes in, he's, I can imagine foam coming out of his mouth and he's John the Baptist and he's preaching repentance and he's yelling, he's saying, you brood of vipers, will you escape the judgment that's to come? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. John the Baptist preaching repentance, but not Jesus. He's gentle, he's calm, he's soft, right? He's not here to upset people. He just comes to heal everybody and give them a warm, fuzzy feeling. Look at Mark 1, 14 through 15. This is so interesting to see. Now, after John the Baptist was arrested. So where's John? He's arrested, about to get his head chopped off because he's confronting sin. Jesus came. John's gone. Who's on the scene now? John baptized Jesus. Jesus came into Galilee, and Jesus is doing what? He's proclaiming, proclaiming what? The gospel of God. And what is he saying? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent. The the message Jesus starts out with is repentance. Repent and believe. Repentance of sin is a part of conversion. It is necessary to conversion that we would recognize that we are sinful before a holy God, that our ancestry is unholy, not holy, and that the sin in our life must be repented of. We must acknowledge our sin. And Jesus begins He carries on the message of repentance that John the Baptist left off with. Repent and believe in the gospel. What does it mean to repent? It means it's a complete change of attitude and thought concerning sin and righteousness. That's what repentance is. It's a complete change. It's a 180, a complete change of thought concerning sin and unrighteousness. Said another way, repentance is to say the same thing about sin that God says. It's another way to talk about repentance. You begin to think and to say the same thing about sin that God says. What does the world say about sin? Well, there is no sin, except for the big ones like killing people and abusing children. But other than that, what's sin? Well, there, there, there is no sin. But believers say the same thing. To repent means that you acknowledge that God says certain things about sin, and I believe the same thing that he says about sin and about righteousness. That's repentance. You know, it's instructive for us to see what Paul says about sin, Romans chapter 6. So, so, so what shall we say then, Paul says? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. This is a part of conversion that we would repent of our sin and that we would no longer live in sin. That we wouldn't live 
continually in sin. How can we, who have died to sin, live any longer in it? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Continuing in sin is a sign that a person has not been crucified with Christ, died to sin, and been raised to walk in newness of life. Continuing in sin, the pattern of our life, if the pattern of our life is continuing in unrepentant sin, it may be a sign that you have never truly been crucified with Christ and raised to newness of life. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God for, God forbid. Jesus preached repentance. Jesus did not avoid talking about repentance. And so why would we, why would we ever do that as a preacher, as Christians? This is our message. We're not ashamed of the gospel. Talking about repentance means that there is sin, and that sin is rebellion against God. So what does Jesus say so far? He says that those that don't know him, those that don't want his word, that those that, want, that don't want to embrace him, their ancestry spiritually is not holy, it is unholy. Their father is Satan. And then Jesus calls out sin. He calls for repentance. He calls for repentance. What, what else would make a gospel sermon if Jesus was preaching? Here's a third thing. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You, you don't have a holy ancestor. You are guilty by nature. You need to repent of your sins, acknowledge your sin against the holy God, and then understand that being a Christian means that if anyone would come after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus said this to his disciples, Matthew 16. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Wow, what a statement, right? What a statement. Follow me and it will cost you everything. That's a gospel message. Do you want to be a Christian? you want to follow Jesus? You're going to lose your life. The life you know right now, you will lose your life. All that you thought to be true, all that you valued, all, your, your, your whole life is going to change. You're going to see the world completely different. You will lose your life. Your whole life will be changed. You know what's interesting? It says, then Jesus, in Matthew 16 there, it says, then Jesus told his disciples. Then, the word then tells us that what Jesus is about to say is built off of what just happened. So right before Jesus says, if you'll come after me, whoever would follow me, come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. What, did he, what came right before that? Matthew 16, look at verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. And Peter, God loved Peter, right? Peter took him aside, began to rebuke the Son of God, and said, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. <laughs> wow, that amazing. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me. Oh, there he goes again. Watch out, Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus turns after he rebukes Peter and says, in essence, this is what he says, following me is not what you think it is, Peter. 
you think that following me means you're going to be a part of my kingdom on this earth and I'm going to be ruling and reigning. We're going to overthrow Rome. And you know that about Peter, right? He cut off Malchus's ear like we talked about last week and Peter is fighting for an earthly kingdom and Jesus says, Peter, Peter, listen, coming after me, you're going to lose your life. You're not going to gain your life. You're not going to gain all of this earthly stuff that you think it's all about. You're going to lose it all. Peter, following me is not what you think it is. Following me will not make you great. Following me will cost you everything. It will not make you great by earthly standards. You may lose everything, but you will gain your soul. Wow, isn't that powerful? Following Jesus, let's put it in our terms. Let's bring it to our terms here today, some terms that maybe we can follow. Following Jesus is not a mathematic equation. Add Jesus to your life. So what, what, what is Jesus saying here? I think what Jesus is saying here is, is it's not a mathematic equation. Add Jesus to your life and, and keep the world and keep your life, right? So your life plus the world plus Jesus. You know, I, I have my life and, and I got the world and I'm going to add Jesus. It's kind of like our, you know, many of us are going to join a, a fitness club in January, right? So I, I've got my life. I've got my world. I got my, I'm going to add a fitness routine in January. And then, I, then I'm going to add Jesus to my it's in my life, one plus one plus one plus one, and, and the, plus, the last plus one is Jesus. I add Jesus to my life. That, that, that's not Christianity. Well, if math is not your thing like me, how about a buffet illustration? You guys like buffets? Before service, I was talking to a couple of ladies before service about Thanksgiving, and they said that their kitchen was like a buffet. Was yours? That's how mine was, just a buffet of stuff everywhere. All right? So let's, let's, let's talk about in, in that realm, like a buffet, our lives are like plates, right? And, and we, we even say that a life is like a plate, right? Don't we? Hey, you have time to do this, or can you sign up for this or that? Oh, I can't. My plate is full. My plate is full. My plate's too full. I can't do that. So it's kind of like a buffet. This is how we live our life. I'll take a little of this, give me a little of that. Give me some financial success, a great career. Give me, give me great vacations. I want to go skiing in Vail. Give me respect with the world. Give me a great physique. Give me fun sports activities. And look, oh, in the buffet, look at Jesus over there. He's nice. He looks appealing. Religion looks like something that might help me emotionally. I'll make a little room on my plate. How many of you did that at Thanksgiving? You're like, I, I got to get everything. I'm squeezing all that. Just use a second plate, right? Yeah, I don't like to mix my food, right? Get a second plate. But that's what we do with you. I, I got a little room on my plate in my life for Jesus. This version of Christianity is not Christianity. Buffet style, add Jesus to my already full plate is a pagan form of religion. Adding Jesus to an already full plate is a pagan form of religion. What is pagan religiosity? Pagan religion is a religion of many gods vying for our attention and our affections. My plate is full of things that I worship. That's, that's, the, that's the illustration. My plate is full of things that I worship. I worship sports. I worship pleasure. I worship success. I worship money. And, I'm gonna, and I worship physical fitness. And I'm going to add Jesus onto my plate if I have a little bit of room. That's pagan religion. That our life is like a plate and we worship all these many things. 
We add Jesus to our plate. This is America's favorite form of religion. Give me a religion that I can practice on my terms. When I have an appetite for Jesus, I'll add him to my plate. You know, if plate, if the plate is our life and our life is the plate, you know what Jesus is saying right here in Matthew 16? He's saying, I own the plate. Your life as a Christian, if you're going to come and follow me, I own the plate. I am first place. I am second place. I am third place. I am everything. I own the plate. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Lose your life. Lose control of your life. Die to yourself. This message is not an easy message to hear. Your ancestry is unholy. You're born in sin. You're sinful by nature. The sin in your life, the things, the actions in your life, they they really are sin. They're sin and you need to repent. And then after you repent, you need to commit to following Christ, not just adding him to your life. He needs to become all of your life. That is biblical Christianity according to Christ, not me. This is Jesus' words. So what else would Jesus say? You guys ready to move on? What else would Jesus say? He would say this, number four, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again. Who did Jesus tell that to? Nicodemus, John chapter 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus is confused. What does this mean, born again? You know, it's interesting, Nicodemus, he he comes to Jesus at night, and he's a Pharisee. He's a a ruler of the Jews, and he's trying to understand what it means to be a part of the kingdom. And he comes to Jesus. He came at night because he was fearful that he would lose his place in the Sanhedrin. He doesn't want to be seen publicly with Jesus and asking him questions. And Jesus tells him, born again. You must be born again. And you know, sometimes people that aren't believers are ridicule Christians, and the, and the term born-again Christian is like a, a derogatory term. You're just a born-again Christian. But there is no other kind of Christian other than, a born, than the born-again kind. That's the only kind of Christian is the born-again kind. Because Jesus said, to enter the kingdom, you must be. We didn't come up with that term. The one we follow did. You're going to be born again. So, so, so Nicodemus comes at night, and he says, all right, Jesus. You're obviously a teacher from God because you can't be doing these signs like you're doing and not have divine blessing. That's what, that's what Nicodemus is saying to him. And Jesus bypasses the question. He bypasses the question. He gets straight to the heart of the matter. He says, Nicodemus, you want to see the kingdom? You want to see the kingdom? You must be born again. What's Jesus getting at? You know, I think what he's getting at is he's getting at this. He's getting at this. Nicodemus... His idea of seeing the kingdom was connected to faithfulness to the Torah. In his mind, if he obeyed the law of God and he was perfect in the law of God, he was going to enter the kingdom of God. 
His belief in the kingdom of God was connected to his own righteousness. And Jesus comes to a man who believed that, that his own righteousness was all he needed to enter the kingdom, and he flips it on Nicodemus' head. And he says, Nicodemus, you want to enter the kingdom? It's not the way you think it is. You must be born again. You must be made brand new. Jesus tells this legal expert, the law will not save you. The law will not save you. You will not see the kingdom until you're born again. And this is what scripture tells us. Jesus says it here in John 3, but you see it in Romans 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. The law is meant to be a standard that would hold the world and unbelievers accountable before God. All of us before God. But, verse 20, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. We're not justified, Nicodemus, by works of the law. It's about being born again. Paul in Galatians 3, the church at Galatia has started to go back. These Jewish Jews that became Christians, they tried to go back to incorporate Judaism into Christianity and, and obeying the, the ceremonial law and circumcision. And they tried to incorporate that together. And what did Paul tell them in Galatians 3? Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as cru crucified. Let me ask you just this one thing. Did you, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with with faith. Are you so foolish? Have begun by the Spirit? Are you now going to be perfected by circumcision? Are you going to be perfected by keeping the feast days? Are you going to be perfected by the ceremonial law? Oh, foolish Galatians, you started in the Spirit. It started with faith. Do you guys see that? You must be born again. Christianity is a message of one good deed paying the price for an infinite amount of bad deeds. Christianity is not due, it is done. Nicodemus, this is a new creation message. The old has passed away, the new has come. Christianity is not a message of good deeds outweighing the bad, building up credit, maintaining righteousness and good standing. It's about one good deed outweighing all the other bad deeds. And what was that one good deed that outweighs all the other bad deeds? It's Christ. Romans 5, for as by one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners, us. So by the one man's obedience, Christ, many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, meaning the law comes in to show us we're guilty, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ. Amen? Must be born again. For our sake, he who knew no sin became sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Nicodemus, it's not about your righteousness. It's about my righteousness. It's what I will accomplish that will make you righteous. So what would Jesus preach? What did he preach? Let's summarize. You're guilty. Your spiritual ancestry is not from God. Repent of your sins. Stop trying to hide. Count the cost before you follow me, for it will cost you everything to be a Christian. For many Christians throughout church history, it did cost them everything, even their very life. All of the apostles 
the Bible that we study and read, the one that God superintended their writing for our benefit and our salvation, they all died. It cost them everything to follow Jesus. Jesus wasn't lying when he said that. And what else did Jesus say? He said, you're not good enough on your own. Your good works are not enough. You must be born again. You're guilty. I'm holy. You're guilty. You have sinned. You must repent. It will cost you everything. Count the cost before you follow me, and you must be born again. We know what's great about this message is that Jesus doesn't stop talking right there. You know, so, so often people will, will tell you what the problem is, but they don't tell you how to find the solution, right? Oh, that's great. I'm a sinner. That's great. God is holy. I'm a sinner. I need to repent. I need to be born again. But how does that happen? Aren't you glad for your Lord? What else did Jesus say? He said, come to me, number five, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen. Matthew 11. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Jesus confronts the sin. He calls for repentance. He, he, he calls people to count the cost. And he says, you must be born again. And he says, come to me. This is how one will be born again. This is how anyone can be born again. The call is to come to Jesus. To come to Jesus. The cure cannot come before the diagnosis. The diagnosis lets us know there's a problem. And once we know there's a problem, Jesus declares that he is ready to be the cure. He says, come to me. All who are tired and burdened because of sin. Are you tired and burdened because of sin today? Maybe you came in here today and you are weighed down under the guilt of your sin. Today, if you will acknowledge your sin and you will repent and believe in Christ and not your own works and your own good deeds, you can come to Christ and you can be forgiven. Are you tired and burdened because of sin? Are you tired today because of self-help religion? You've tried self-help religion. You've tried the YouTube preachers out there that tell you that Christianity is just all about self-improvement and life goals. Are you tired of that? Come to Jesus and find real peace and rest. You tired because of works righteousness living? Living under the weight of a belief that you can maintain your own righteousness? Many of you were raised in belief systems that taught you that you were maintaining your righteousness every day. By all the, you know, you would, you'd walk into venial sins or God forbid mortal sins, but all those venial daily sins, you, you walk in those sins and you go every day and unless you go every day to receive the, the, the sacrament and, and, and you can hold off until the weekend and you get the Eucharist and, and, then you're, and, you're, and you're good, you can start your week and if you get back into those sins, well, you know that Sunday comes and it's this roller coaster ride of works righteousness, some times I'm feeling good about myself and I'm decent and then at other times I know I'm really bad and, I, and maybe I'll go to church on Wednesday because I've really had a bad start to the week. Are you tired of the works righteousness system? Are you ready to embrace a done religion of Christ crucified and resurrected for your justification once and for all? 
Jesus says, come, if you're ready. Are you willing? Forgiveness can be found. Peace can be found. Rest can be found because Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our rest. Jesus is our forgiveness. When we stop living our life like our plate is our plate, and we start living life as believers like our life is his, then we can have peace, we can have rest, and we can have forgiveness. You know, the truth is, is that the hardest of hearts, the hardest of hearts God can transform. The gospel of God, I love how Mark 1 says it, this gospel is the gospel of God. It's not the gospel of man. Man can't come up, man would not come up with this. This is how you know it's supernatural. Man would not come up with this, this message. This message is foolishness to the world, to those who are perishing. This is the gospel of God, and the gospel of God can crush the hardest heart of any human being and humble them. Ezekiel 36 tells us this. The prophet says, speaking forward to Christ, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you you must be born again right a new heart a new spirit and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes how are you going to walk in the statutes of God the Holy Spirit will cause you to walk in the ways of God. When you feel like, I can't do it, I, I just have these sins that are, these besetting sins, maybe it's because you've never come to faith yet. You need to repent and believe and you need to rely on the power of the Spirit, the power of his word every day to help you to walk free. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. Amen? This is the message. This is the message we preach. We preach Christ. We preach what Christ preached. This is our message. We don't want to change it. Jesus preached man's sinful condition. He preached repentance. Jesus preached against easy believism. Jesus preached that a person must be born again, not by works, but by faith. Jesus called everyone to come to him. All who would listen. All who would listen. All who were willing can come. And this is the gospel that we're not ashamed of. And this is the gospel that the world needs to hear. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I know, it's, I know it's easy to hear a message like this in safe confines, right? I mean, this is like, this is about as safe as it gets right here. but I think we're so tempted to be ashamed of the gospel because we really don't think it's powerful enough to change someone's life because we think it will offend them too much to get to the point of life transformation. That's where we must trust God. Some of you are in relationship with people and you've yet to tell them the gospel. And you're just trying to tell them, hey, just come to church, just come to church, or, or, or you know, you know God, God, God wants to do wonderful things in your life, and all those things are true and good, but maybe, I believe, not maybe, I do believe, sit down with that friend. Sit down with that coworker. 
with respect and love and gentleness and preach the gospel. Start with the bad news and end with come to Jesus. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation. It is not our message. If we had come up with a message, we would come up with a message of works righteousness. That's what man always does. That's the message men come up with. Every false religion out there, I'm almost done. We're we're wrapping up. But every false religion that's out there, you pinpoint the center of what it is. It's works righteousness. We come up with a a message that, that puts our salvation in our control. The gospel is a message that's out of our control. It's a message that God's the one who does the saving, not us. And all we have to be is not ashamed of that gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. To the religious first, amen. And to the Greek. And that is the gospel that we will not compromise. We will not seek to change it, alter it, water it down, soften it to make it more appealing to non-believers. Our confidence is not in our cleverness or our ability to communicate. Our confidence is not in creating the right atmosphere for conversion. Can I say that again? Our confidence is not in our ability to create the right atmosphere for conversion. You know what the right, what, what, what does that mean? What's the right atmosphere for conversion? Any place, any time, anywhere, any moment, now is the time of salvation. You don't gotta have the right keyboards playing in that minor key to stir somebody's emotions to get them to come get saved. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We just must speak it. And if we will speak it, God will do the saving. Amen? Okay. Our confidence is in the gospel. The Holy Spirit works through the simple and clear gospel message. So can I end where Brother Jimmy started us in 1 Corinthians 1? For the word of the cross the screen, this won't be on the screen for you, but just listen. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Isn't that what we've been saying? But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs. Prove yourself, prove yourself, prove yourself. Greeks seek wisdom, higher knowledge, higher understanding. But we preach Christ crucified. Amen? So we're not ashamed of the gospel. In fact, we're thankful for it. Are you thankful for the gospel? The question you guys ask yourself is not, why are not more people saved? The question you have to ask yourself is, why am I saved? Why me? Sometimes people get hung up and they say, what about all the people that live in jungles that never hear the gospel? God, God's big enough to take care of them and get the good news to them. Or what about people throughout history that didn't know the Lord? And you ask all these questions. But the question you have to ask yourself right now is not about this and that and them and others. Why am I saved? Why me? What did I do? 
how did I deserve this? And the answer is, is you didn't. It wasn't you. It wasn't your power. It wasn't your strength. It wasn't your cleverness. You're not cute like I'm not cute, right? And we didn't dress well enough and weren't religious enough and didn't pay enough money to buy this thing. Like, God did it. And whenever you see it that way, you're so thankful. God, why me? God, you chose me. You called me. You saved me. We're thankful. Amen. And you want, you want as many others to be thankful as well. Amen. Can you stand to your feet? We're going to sing thanks to our God. But before we do, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to pray and then we're going to sing. But I just want to make a call to you. If you're out there right now and you have never confessed Christ, you, you've just heard the gospel from the beginning to the conclusion. And if you're not a believer, you need to understand that you're sinful and you're guilty before God. That's the message of the Bible. It's not my message. My prayer is that I've not been offensive to you in that message. That's not our job. We don't want to be offensive. Our job is to be clear, and I want to be clear to you. If you're a non-believer today, you are guilty before God. And you must repent of your sins. Acknowledge Christ as Savior. You must count the cost. And you must embrace Christ by faith and be born again. And today you can do that. Today you can be born again. If you're here today and you, and you want to confess Christ as your Savior, you are counting the cost and you are recognizing that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Would you just slip up your hand? Don't worry about what anybody says, looks at you. We're all looking at each other. If that's you, yeah. Anybody else? Is there anybody else? You want to acknowledge Christ? Yes. You know, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, this is how you're born again. It says, if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is God and that he was raised from the dead, that you will be born again. So if you raise your hand or you didn't raise your hand and in your heart you know this is me, I want to confess Christ today, would you close your eyes? Would we all close our eyes and we're going to pray. In the quietness of your heart, it's between you and the Lord. It's not between me and you. It's you and God. Confess Christ today. Acknowledge your sin. Repent right now in this moment. Repent of your sin. Father, forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. I recognize I'm a sinner and that I need a Savior. And I've sinned against a holy God. And I recognize that it will cost me my life, that I want... It will cost all of my life. I must lay down my whole life. And that it's not going to be because of my own righteousness. That I'll be justified. But it's only through the cross of Christ. I acknowledge that. I repent. I believe. I confess Jesus as Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And Lord, we are so thankful. We're so thankful for what you've done in our life. We're so thankful for the gospel. It's not what we have done, it's what you've done. And God, I pray that we would not be ashamed of it, that we would not shrink back from it, that we would not be embarrassed to preach this message, but that we would preach it with boldness and compassion, and that we will sit back and watch the gospel have its effect and its power in the lives of people. Lord, we 
pray you give us courage in these times that we live. Courage to stand, to not compromise, to not feel intimidated by the culture. Disney may keep pumping out filth for our kids and all the the music industry and social media may keep pumping out all this junk, wanting us to take part in it. But God, may we stand firm on your word and not compromise. We have our convictions solid. And may we live lives as Christians that are compelling, that people can see our lives, that we have genuinely been changed. And may that message open the door for us to tell them how they can experience the same thing, how they can go from guilty to forgiven. Help us to live this out and may may we always have hearts of thanksgiving. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you sing?